Welcome everyone to our 2023 end of year compilation Tap Talks HR podcast, where we highlight some of the key moments in the conversations with our guests over the last year. I'm always so grateful to our guests in giving up their time to share their insights with our listeners. Hopefully this best of podcast will make you want to jump into some of the over 80 podcasts we now have recorded on Tap Talks HR. First up is Victoria Brown, Head of Research and Development at Belbin. Victoria and I are discussing the research around the effect of hybrid working on the team environment. In this clip, Victoria talks about what people miss in a hybrid workplace and how different roles respond to this. We asked about the, the kind of things that people missed about the workplace and actually um, people didn't really talk so much about log logistical or practical things. What they talked about was the opportunity for informal communication, you know, just to meet and, and chat to people. Um, because I think when we're working remotely, we're sort of scheduling meetings, agendas, everything's more formalised. And there aren't so many opportunities for teams to kind of connect in an informal way as they might do if they're just, you know, if you're just passing someone's desk or, you know, you're in the same room for lunch or whatever it might be. Um, and again, it was um, those team roles that sort of were valuing ideas, but also people who um, had team worker strengths. So they're the kind of cement, if you like, that holds the team together. And their, their role um, is to, um, to sort of have an ear to the ground, but, but internally. So they're very perceptive and they pick up on kind of shifts in the dynamic and in the environment. Again, that's something that's perhaps more difficult to do remotely. So yeah, there, there were a lot of things in team role terms that could affect people's experience. And of course, it's not the whole picture. There were lots of other um, sort of elements to, 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 to those decisions that were going on. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting piece from that point of view. Victoria then went deeper into the challenges of hybrid teams and looked at leadership and hybrid working. Here she discussed the challenges of leaders working with hybrid teams, but also the opportunity this gives us to consider the dynamics and the role of team meetings in a more complex work environment. It was our hunch, and actually it was borne out in the survey, that hybrid was almost a more difficult situation for leaders than just remote or just um, you know, working together co-located. Um, and the reason for that is you're having to deal with two um, sort of sets of, of dynamics and you're also um, sort of thinking logistically about, you know, when do I talk about this? Because I've got half the people on screen, I've got the other half here, I'm trying to make sure I include the right people, but that can't be by default. You know, we don't want to go down the road of um, presenteeism and, and just call a meeting with the people that are here or, you know, so I, I think actually um, the positive of that for leaders is that it has kind of forced us to be a bit more deliberate about how we um, sort of put people together. Um, and it's not just necessarily, you know, everyone into the meeting room. It's actually thinking about um, who we're um, calling on. And again, that's, that's where Belvin comes into play because we've got these strengths. We've got an idea of where we might be able to, to sort of bring people in at the right time. It is true that the role of the leader is becoming more complex with such things as manager self-service and ever demanding individualism from employees. However, as Victoria reminds us, there can be benefits. In this last clip from our discussion, Victoria looks at how larger organisations have had to respond to the changing workplace and have had to become more agile in their approach to teams. I think another sort of benefit of the way that we're working now is that um, 
big sort of lumbering organizations that have always worked to job descriptions and you know sort of heavy bureaucracy they i think found that they had to adapt and become more flexible the startups and people who could sort of shift things more easily um, I think found things easier in those early stages. So I think being able to have the flexibility to build and disband teams as you need them um, is really key to this. Of course, build in team roles is one way of looking at hybrid working. In another podcast, I spoke with John Haxton, head of thought leadership at the Myers Briggs company. His research looked at the individual and how personality type could affect our approach to hybrid working. This first clip comes after I cheekily asked John whether hybrid working was just simply about the extrovert and introvert difference. What I'm going to talk about is really based on research we did last year, which looked at the way that people adapted to hybrid working, to home working, to office working, depending on their personality type. And when we looked at extroversion and introversion, what we found is that both extroverts and introverts, they both tended to agree that they enjoyed working from home, they both tended to agree about the appreciated peace and quiet of working from home. There really wasn't that much difference between extroverts and introverts there. Neither um, of them said they wished they didn't have to work from home more often. Extroverts a little bit more likely to say that, but again, not a huge difference. The big difference was around having people around themselves. So people who were extroverts who were working remotely or working in a hybrid way, they were much more likely than introverts to say, actually, you know, I miss having people around me. 69% of extroverts said that, only 39% of introverts. And extroverts were also more likely to say that they really quite liked working somewhere where there were lots of people around. Introverts, much less likely. So they both enjoy working from home, they both can work from home, they both quite like hybrid working. But there is that difference in terms of having people around, I think, really made a difference between extroverts and introverts there. With that cleared up, we went on to talk about other things, including what organisations can do to attract people into the office more. John's response, based on his research, was a surprise to me and may need to be heeded by facilities functions and HR functions alike when looking to repurpose existing or new office space. I think that from our research, one of the things that came out quite clearly was the, the single change that people wanted most to have, really, in terms of their office space, was essentially not to have an open plan office. Now, we know there's lots of reasons why organisations like open plan offices. Um, there's been often organisations that said, well, it increases collaboration, just the sort of things you were talking about. Actually, the research by ourselves and previous research and others doesn't bear that out. People tend to collaborate rather more when there are dedicated spaces, meeting rooms, et cetera, all that collaboration purpose, but where there are also those private spaces where people can actually go when they need that client. So what came out from our research in terms of helping people to get into the office was actually about the spaces in the office. It was about having a combination of private spaces and quiet spaces and communal spaces and spaces where you could get together. So having giving people that choice. Now, as organizations are moving towards some of their workers being hybrid, some may be entirely remote. We know that large organizations 
a number of large organizations are actually moving out of their big offices an issue for places like Canary Wharf, for example. Um, that does give perhaps organizations the chance to rethink that space and what they do with that space to actually make it more attractive for their employees. And I'm not talking about, you know, putting in ball pits or something. I'm talking about a sensible way of having those different spaces for different purposes that people could use. Because when we looked at the changes that people would like to make to their office work environment, some people said it's too busy, some people said it's too quiet. But having those different spaces for those different purposes would really help with that for both extroverts and introverts. One of my many reasons for loving recording the Tap Talks HR podcast is because I get to hear about research from the researchers themselves about the latest hot topics. Earlier in the year, I recorded a podcast with Rachel Lewis, an occupational psychologist specialising in work, health and well-being. She had just completed her research looking into how we can non-financially support our employees through the cost of living crisis. And of course, most households are still experiencing the effect of the cost of living crisis today. So how does this impact on the work environment and why should it matter to employers? And I guess where it becomes relevant in terms of mental health is that is that what we what we've seen from many surveys so a recent one by YouGov um, earlier this year said that half of um, employees surveyed were experiencing anxiety about um, paying their bills um, what that means is that in organizations half of employees are are experiencing anxiety I, I would say that's probably more now and we know that there's research shows there's a really clear link between financial stress and and emotional stress and depression. Um, so therefore it's really likely that that the, the cost of living crisis and the impact on that is, is having a negative impact in terms of well-being for employees. So therefore for, the, for those organizations that are kind of interested and committed to this area, um, we wanted to support them both because they have their, uh, perhaps a moral imperative, um, an ethical imperative, but also the, the the business case shows really clearly that if people aren't aren't happy at work, if they are anxious at work, they're not going to be yeah. as productive. So there's also a really clear business case for us to think about how organisations can better support employees during this cost of living crisis. This was one of those podcasts where I felt humbled by the depth of insight that my guest had. Rachel really got to the nub of the issue. Here she talks about the fine line we tread in HR in trying to support our people. When should and when shouldn't we talk about non-pay related support with our people? If you are not meeting basic financial needs, then talking about non-pay offers is both harmful and probably morally insulting. And there were people, employees that we talked to, that were not being able to eat every day um that were that had that were not being that were getting behind on rent these they were not having their basic financial needs met and so therefore going into those organizations and saying how can your employees support you was was too much was too much i truly recommend listening to the whole of rachel lewis's podcast on supporting employees through the cost of living crisis Moving on to a very different topic, yet highly discussed topic of 2023, 
AI in the workplace. Back in 2019, I was lucky enough to talk to Megan Butler in one of my early podcasts about the role of AI in HR software. Since then, Megan has undertaken a PhD about AI in the workplace. So who better to persuade to come back for an encore on Tap Talks HR and give us an update on what we should be thinking of as AI infiltrates our workplaces. Megan, as always, talks here full of energy on the dangers of not fully understanding AI in the workplace and the tools we might be exposed to. There are some great questions at the end of this clip that you can use to critically inquire with your potential AI providers. And by the way, I love the analogy with health and safety legislation. It is something that people don't truly understand and they're going to start using in ways that are inappropriate. And we're seeing that with ChatGBT all over the place. You know, I think I saw an article just the other day. I think it's a Canadian story. It could be wrong. But two lawyers getting in trouble for submitting evidence that came from GPT that was false. You know, so like, of course, we're going to learn the hard way. It's an unfortunate human trait. You know, we have occupational health and safety, not because we had the forethought or like wherewithal to think ahead and go, we shouldn't hurt people at work. It was because we killed a bunch of people at work and went like, oh, we probably shouldn't do that. Let's come up with some rules. And and that and that's what's happening in the AI world. And and you know, we talk about GDPR. How late was that in the digital era? Um, you know, that was 10 years behind Canada's um, digital, digital. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly what it was called, but they had their digital laws, which GDPR was um, roughly based on as well. And that came out in 2010, and that felt late even. And so we're at a point in time, and I think, you know, when we look at the HR community, I feel that they, like, as a former HR, like, well, I like to see myself as still an HR professional, but a former HR professional really working as an, an HR. Um, that I feel that the, there's a massive lack of regulations, clarity on what is happening. Products have no, no, do, no, no reason to tell them what's really going on. They're able to say like, oh, we have secret sauce. I don't have to tell you how our product works. Um, we know from, you know, from what we used to talk about in 2019, and it probably is on this podcast. If you go to other events that I've talked at, there's probably recordings of me saying it, so I have no problem saying it. But I found loads of false products in my research. I had tons of products tell me, three quarters of the way through when I try to dig in to see what their AI was doing, they finally were like, okay, we don't have AI at all. You know, I, I sat there and listened to somebody that I knew on a product that we had absolutely no AI in it say, oh yeah, it's machine learning magic. You know, so we know those lies are kind of out there and there's no regulation. So I feel like the HR community has a right to be panicked. And I feel that, you know, the bodies that should be supporting them more are not supporting them as much as they should with the education um, and making sure that they have people that are working on staff that are educated, um, are educated in, a, in at a level or have the knowledge to be able to support the HR professionals. So we're seeing the governing bodies let them down. So HR is kind of left out in the water in an in an era that if they make a mistake, they could get the com the company sued for millions. And we see something like um, H and M fine um, for 32 million years, and that was GDPR, and that was collecting appropriate data in Excel spreadsheets. Well, now let's you know let's times that by a thousand and make it a global company that's collecting that on like 300,000 employees. What's that lawsuit going to look like? So yeah, so I think HR has a very big right to be, um, to have a lot of anxiety right now. Not only should they be getting in, getting in and knowing this technology and using it to their advantage and creating that competitive advantage for their company, but they don't have clear education. Most of the education is coming from the industry itself, which has its own motives and agenda. I think that we do produce a lot of great thoughts thought leadership in there like you know I produce it as well so and I and I've read other people's work and there's lots of great stuff out there but there's also a lot of 
you know, persuasive, you know, and marketing language. And, you know, if you work in HR, you've looked at loads of technology products and you know that, you know, the marketing language you see on there, you're like, but what does it really do? And you have to kind of fight through all the bullshit to, or the BS, pardon me, um, to get to the point to, to kind of understand what it's actually doing, what data is it actually doing? What is it, what is it doing? What is the algorithm actually doing with the data? What does the output actually represent and how can we actually use it? Another topic I've seen rise up since the pandemic comes from the blurring of work and non-work spaces. Outdoor learning is moving from the fringes of L&D to more central ground as we accept that work is not just office-based. Changing the environment is great for changing perspectives. Check out my early podcasts around outdoor coaching. Here, I'm in conversation with Matt Offord, Leadership and Management Educator at the University of Glasgow. Matt talks here about the power of outdoor learning. I think I think it's a really I think it's a really powerful tool that you can use, particularly around experiential learning, which is something I'm really into myself. I think that you know you can teach a certain amount of theory. So when I'm working with companies um, and when I'm working with students, we quite often trot out various theories and frameworks that we have. I mean, just just to choose one at random, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs or something like that, you know, a lot of people are aware of that model. They talk about that model. It starts with a PowerPoint. Um, But actually, you know, having an experience of where people are on that scale of needs um, really helps to solidify that knowledge. And I find that going outdoors really changes the context And it takes away from that kind of passive learning environment where people turn up, whether it's a training room or a lecture hall, and they just kind of switch on to passive mode and start almost recording your voice. When you take them outdoors and you get them to notice things that exist outdoors, you're waking that active part of their mind up, uh, getting them to reflect on what they see. And very much is about... I think in leadership and management education, you can even go out into the built environment and see the kind of scars from that have been caused by, you know, irresponsible management of the past. You can go and see it actually happening. Uh, And also, I think it's really important to try and defamiliarize that outdoor environment. So, you know, when you um, get people to go outdoors just outside of an office block that they've maybe walked to, or just outside of the lecture theatre where they've walked through the campus and just didn't notice anything about that environment, but now you're asking them to, for instance, look at the number of electric vehicles that might go past or, um, you know, look for signs of pollution on the buildings or something like that, or to go you know, outdoors into a sort of a more wild environment and notice the extent to which perhaps that's a man-made environment. In fact, it's just trying to get people to notice things um, that previously they would have just walked on by, myself included uh, in that, of course. I think Matt has a great point here about moving from being a passive learner into active learning where the brain really engages. Raising awareness Creating space for reflection and getting people to notice themselves or others more increases the chance of creating the change in thinking that we strive for in workplace learning. Here, Matt merges the conversation of outdoor learning into the conversation about AI in the workplace and compares the advantages of both. I've heard it said that we're moving from the age of information to the age of imagination because uh, now AI, generative AI, will do the kind of 
some of the legwork for us in terms of computation, calculation, and so on. Um, but it doesn't have imagination and it doesn't have uh, experience as such, like human experience. So it's actually bringing, it's not saying that, you know, we need to live in a world with a, without AI or we need to prescribe AI or limit AI, but it's more like, how are we going to work in collaboration with AI? So taking these, you know, these sort of outdoor experiences, which can't be copied by AI, um, you know, is giving you and giving uh, giving learners that kind of ability to think critically about things. And then actually you could take what you've learned from an outdoor learning experience and feed that into, you know, um, some, you know, open AI or something like that and see, see what you get and see how that compares with your experiences. So it's not to necessarily exclude, but I mean, one of the things in, in education in particular is the idea of authentic assessment, which of course is becoming more and more uh, popular now because, you know, we used to sort of give students a, an essay to do. Uh, but now, of course, they could just feed that into AI. So how do we how do we kind of create an authentic assessment? Well, we can patchwork those experiences, those campus field trips that I did and say, right, OK, right about that, because you can't you can't copy that. And similarly, you know, in a, in a business context, if you're working with uh, I was recently working uh, with a company where we were uh, working outdoors and they were they were working through some sort of uh, internal issues and things like that. Again, these are, these, are, these are problems that humans have. These are not problems that AI can really help us with, but we were using the outdoor environment as a reflective space um, to talk about those things. So I've, I think it definitely has its place in, in the future of work. The final couple of clips I have are from a great conversation with Karen Eva on the psychology of storytelling. Karen is just releasing her new book on the topic of storytelling, and she kindly joined us at Tech Talks HR to share a sneak preview from the book around this very current topic for senior leaders and managers. In this clip, Karen responds to a comment she made that in business, we are often afraid of telling stories. When we're with friends, we're in a different relaxed state. We're not thinking, are they going to be judging me for this story? We're thinking, I can't wait to tell you about this funny thing that just happened to me. When we're in a business setting, though, we start to feel that vulnerability of, well, gosh, no one asked me to tell a story. So do I even have permission to tell one? And what story is going to be meaningful? And I have to make sure I'm communicating these data pieces that we've collected. And so it gets more convoluted and it makes the stakes feel higher. And often, and, and I see so often people will spend hours putting together a set of, of PowerPoint slides or content they're going to present and they spend maybe five minutes thinking about what they're going to say. And that doesn't leave you enough time to tell a story. You do need to flip that of think about who are you talking to and why are you talking to them? What do you want to have happen? And use that as a starting point for what you want to share, what stories you want to tell, and then figure out what visual aid you need to support it. So it's a combination of it just feels more convoluted and people aren't sure the steps to take. So stop writing that PowerPoint and think about the story first. Here I ask Karen to think about HR and the role of storytelling within our own profession. I think storytelling is an HR professional secret weapon. 
we see things perhaps in more um, acuity than others do, right? We sense when things are not quite where we want them in the culture. We see leaders that can do things differently to be more impactful. We see development issues. And any one of these moments are great opportunities to tell a story, to broaden perspective or change the energy. It isn't just how do we create a storytelling culture across HR and in the organization. It is you can be nudging the individuals, the leaders and teams forward with different stories that change their thinking. Because I think sometimes these coaching moments that we we create the most of are profound opportunities for stories. In the broader organization, healthy cultures tell stories of what great looks like, great leaders, great teams, um, great projects, because when I can hear something that a really wonderful team did, that's going to help me think about, well, what do I do differently with my team? How do we incorporate some of those things? Or when we hear what a great leader does beyond the expectations for leaders around performance management, but we get some ideas, that's where we not only place ourselves in that, we think, what, what do we want to take from that? When we create these opportunities and regular meetings to stop and reflect on mistakes and what do we want to learn from that or what has worked well for us, you are laying the groundwork for psychological safety in a place where it's okay to have these conversations. And not only is it okay, it's really important that we have these conversations. So I feel like in many ways, HR can help orchestrate all of these things by either asking for these stories, sharing these stories, or, or prompting them in the organization. As I pulled this compilation podcast together, I realized the wealth of knowledge that we are blessed to have by having such great guests on Tap Talks HR. All these latest insights from the hot topics of hybrid working, AI in the workplace, supporting through the cost of living crisis, outdoor learning, and storytelling. Thank you to all my guests. And there is one last podcast that didn't make it onto this 2023 compilation as it was only released in December. If you haven't listened to it yet, then listen to my conversation with Siobhan Sheridan, Chief People Officer of the Financial Conduct Authority, about the strategic importance of the HR leader's own well-being. Download it right now. As a HR professional, how do we deal with the overload that we see and hear as a people professional? A must listen. Well, 2023 is done and we already have recorded podcasts lined up and ready to go for 2024. Thanks, as always, for listening to the Tap Talks HR podcast. Any feedback is always appreciated, especially if there is a topic you want to hear more of. Well, have a great Christmas and a fantastic new year, and bye for now. Music